0: You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it.
1: (laughs) I was there more times than I can remember.
2: Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole where the Drinks are being poured liberally tonight as we are so excited as we record this. We are, wow, 48 hours from The Force Awakens here in the States, and I I can't wait. And so it's super exciting and uh, decided we would finish up before The Force Awakens uh, came out. And for everybody to get a chance to listen to while you wait in line. Uh, our talk about The Last Command, finishing up the Thrawn Trilogy and, and uh, what we thought might represent, you know, a 7, 8, and 9. And so before we jump into that last book in the Thrawn Trilogy, just want to remind everybody that the 602 Club is part of the Trek FM network proudly. We're on iTunes at iTunes.com slash Trek FM. We're also online at Trek.FM. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. And, of course, you are also on the Babel Conference there on Facebook. Just type Babel into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trek.fm. Click Discussion on the menu bar, and you can find all of our shows there we're talking about in our listeners-only discussion group. And, of course, you know what? We've got our own website at trek.fm. And you know what? I'd love to have some feedback from you. So leave us a voicemail. Look in the sidebar on the show page. Go to speakpipe.com Or send us an email if that works for you at trek.fm slash contact. And just choose the the 602 Club. Wow, guys. We've made it uh, to the end of the Thrawn trilogy. Uh, There were times I didn't know if we would because I've got so much reading on my plate with literary treks and everything else. But I gotta say, just thank you, uh, Bruce and John for doing this it's a big commitment and I really appreciate you sticking with me through this
0: well it's been my pleasure Matthew because I knew at the end of every book I was going to be able to look forward to speaking to you and Bruce uh, or at least your evil clones about these books and uh, I you know it's kind of bittersweet to bring it to the end what do you think Bruce
1: I've been wanting to read these books for quite a while. It's been a long, long time in a galaxy far, far away since I've read these books. And I'm glad that you invited me into this so we could discuss it. So I enjoyed discussing it with John and also, yeah, I, I like discussing with Matt too. That guy's
2: a jerk. I don't know who you're talking about. I don't like him at all. That Matt is better though. Uh, Yes. yes, The clone. Yeah. Yeah. He's so much cooler than the original. Um, (laughs)
0: <laughs> with his dead-eye oh stare, making no, no noise uh, at all.
2: He's got such a steely gaze. Yes. You know, it just, <laughs> woo. oh, man, just gives
0: me chills. But and a stylish I, I, brown know. robe.
2: Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, I don't know if he's selling sundials or what under there, but anyway, I wanted to ask you guys as we wrap up this series, um, first Wrapping it up, what are your impressions of the Thrawn trilogy now? You know, I I know we all had uh, thoughts coming in, but, uh, you know, after you got a chance to reread it, you you know, we're all older than when we read it the first time. What are your impressions now? What about you, Bruce? When
1: I first read it, uh, and I mentioned this on the first show when we talked about Heir to the Empire, I was not really... Star Wars didn't work for me as a book, as, as literature. So reading it back then, and also the fact that I thought that it was meaning no n- new movies kind of depressed me. So I didn't get into it as much as I think a lot of other fans did. But now here we are, what, more than 20 years later. Uh, I actually liked it more now than I did then. But I also like the idea of seeing the take of an author that writes a book then and his perception of taking the Star Wars galaxy in one direction and then comparing that to what has happened since with George Lucas and the Clone Wars and Rebels and the rest of the EU and now these new canon novels and soon to be, like you said, very soon – uh, the Force Awakens and so on. So I really enjoyed uh, exploring the writings of Timothy Zahn in these books.
0: Yeah, you know I I agree with you, Bruce. It, it was a lot of fun to revisit these. Um, my reactions were were decidedly different uh, just on a book by book basis. Um, and since we're talking about Last Command, like I enjoyed Last Command a lot more this time than I have any previous time that I've read it. I'm not entirely sure why I. Like I have sort of a handle on it, but like I've been trying to like go through and figure it out. But the the biggest impression I I think anybody who hasn't read these should go back and read them, especially now that they're legends and they're not official and everything. Because in a sense, they're a really interesting first draft. Like you could these are like I view them as novelizations of first draft ideas, because there are and I think especially in Last Command kernels that you can pick up from these. That we're going to develop into what we got with the prequels, um but they're very rough here, you know like they're they're not quite refined to the point that they're ready for prime time and i like I just I think that I also think that that's very interesting because you very much get i you know it does feel like Star Wars, but it feels sort of like the Star Wars that was. You know, like when when they came out with that comic book adaptation of Lucas's first Star Wars screenplay, like it feels rough like that. Like all of the elements are there, but you can tell that, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, where all of those tiny elements that you picked up on there, where they were going to go. So I think it's a very interesting exercise. It was almost
1: as if, like you said, being a draft, it, yeah. it, I, I wasn't sure... As I kept reading it, there was, like you said, those little hints that reminded me of elements we saw in the prequels. And I thought, did George Lucas read these and say, oh, I want to borrow some of these ideas? Or was it the other way around where George kind of gave some ideas to Timothy Zahn that he used in his novel that George kept in the back of his head to then, uh, therefore, he used in it in the prequels later?
0: Yeah, I, I, I would err on the side of believing that. But I think I I I mean Zahn is a good enough writer that I think that there are some things that he might have uh, in development. He might have pushed something in a direction that helped convince Lucas not to go in that one, and vice versa. Um, so yeah, I I think there I think there was probably an even trade somewhere along the way.
2: It's an interesting thing, you know. I see the way in which a lot of this story has. A a very dim mirror of the prequels, you know, um, the expansive galaxy, the politics involved, all of that kind of stuff. Really, you know, it it has that. Um, But at the same time, you know, I took it the completely opposite way as I was reading this. Obviously, I'm thinking about The Force Awakens coming out. All the trailers that we've seen, and I'm only talking about trailers, but we know that um, there's going to be an Imperial remnant uh, that has reorganized itself into the First Order, and they're going to have a new leader, and it's going to create a sense of war again in the galaxy, in very much the same way that, you know, this is set five years after Return of the Jedi. That's set 30 years after Return of the Jedi, but there's kernels of that in there. And what was really interesting to me is that in the end, this story, uh, as I was reading the last command here, it was all about the lightsaber. It was all about that lightsaber that Luke had lost. Yeah. And And not only that, but, you know, obviously... We're going to spoil this book rotten, so if you haven't read it, stop right now and go read it and then come back. If you had read it, enjoy the fact that you may not have read it in a while. We're going to talk about all these things. But the fact that, you know, Sabaoth had taken the, the hand, they had found the hand of Luke and the lightsaber. They've cloned Luke. But it's that lightsaber that comes into play, and especially as at the very end of the book where... Luke passes on that last bit of his father and his heritage to Mara just as Obi-Wan had handed him that lightsaber and the same thing seems to be happening in The Force Awakens and so there's these little kernels as you were saying John first draft for the prequels I'm thinking this kind of feels like the first draft for the the new trilogy oh yeah because sure. there's yeah bits and sure. pieces that you know, they're not going to do Lock, Stock, and Barrel, the the whole Thrawn trilogy, but they're definitely pulling inspiration from the EU in general and all the things that they did for this. Because it almost feels like, you know, The Force Awakens is going to be the first movie by fanboys for fanboys of Star Wars. Well, the EU was for fanboys by fanboys you know uh when i say fanboys i'm not meaning to disclude or exclude any female audience right. members yeah, yeah, yeah you're you're so just, just using a term
0: you're just using um, a term.
2: but you see what i'm saying like I, I just think that's really interesting and in some ways they're so similar and this does kind of feel like that very rough draft for the next trilogy as well as what we already got in the prequels it's so cool how yeah. that
0: works yeah I, I mean you're you're absolutely right because it yeah i'm focused on like the when they were discussing the clone wars and everything but what's additionally interesting uh you know as you point out that there are you know there's an imperial remnant and all of those things including a slightly unstable force user at the front of it all yes like that that's also a familiar element and once you said that i'm like oh yeah wait a minute there is that isn't there
2: so can't uh can't you just imagine somewhere sabio saying i will finish what you started <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, uh, you know <laughs> sabio Sabaya, sabio however you pronounce his name evil clone jedi so, so, so. yeah right <laughs> i mean honestly <laughs> it sounds like a perfume but um uh,
2: uh, sorry i just sneezed
0: there is one story element that I never, maybe I glossed over it. Maybe I, it's just something that I didn't understand. Maybe you guys can help me out with. But speaking of him, there was a little bit made about the medallion, you know, like the, the disco medallion he's wearing in the first two books. And he's wearing it in the third one as well. I never, I never picked up any adequate explanation as to whether there was any actual significance to the medallion.
2: He just stole it from Lando on Cloud City one day. <laughs> okay. When he picked up the, you know, the lightsaber and in, in the hand, he's like, oh,
0: "Hey, yeah, he I said, like this?" He, he stopped medallion. off at the gift shop on the way out. Yeah, <laughs> the Lando gift shop. <laughs> I'll take a severed hand and that lightsaber you found and a medallion, please.
2: Oh, oh, oh! And can I get that Calrissian scent? Yeah the one with real bantha bits it works 86% of the time all the
0: time well you know what though like actually part, part of what i was thinking part of the reason i want a a, a like an explanation for it is I, I think that with empire strikes back there was a, at one draft point and knowing that Sabayoth was supposed to be originally a clone of obi-wan I know that in The Empire Strikes Back, at one of the draft stages, there was a medallion that Luke was going to find that was going to include instructions for him for how to find uh, Minch Yoda on Dagobah. And so I like it, it's sitting in the back of my mind so long as we're talking about story elements. I, I just – the medallion doesn't get explained. And I, I want the medallion to be explained, man. Yeah, it's not explained.
1: I didn't even think about it. I'm wondering if it, it's explained in some other novel. I don't know.
2: Maybe he was a disco star in a past life.
0: <laughs> Maybe that was Maybe his so. prize after he took it from the original Guardian of Mount Tantis or whatever. Maybe he's Mr. Yeah. C and, as opposed to Mr. T. <laughs> <laughs> I pity a I,
2: Jedi. I, <laughs> oh, jeez. I guess we all know what C stands for. <laughs> there um, you go. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. That's what it stands for. Crazy. Or Mr. Cunningham
1: from Happy Days. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so Luke would have wound up being the Fonz? Yeah. No, no. 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 Han would have been the Fons. Luke, Han's yes. the Fons. Uh, Luke would have been Richie. So that yeah. would have made would Leia or Mara have been Jo? No. Okay. So Leia would have had to be Joni.
1: Yes, because they're brother uh, sister. Right.
0: Right. And that. So who's Chachi? Don't make Lando Chachi. <laughs> Chewie's got to be Chachi. Right. Fine. Chewie's Chachi okay, Chewie is that Chachi. ends this conversation? Okay.
2: Uh- <laughs> Who knew we were going to talk about happy days Um, (laughs) tonight? Hey. Okay. (laughs) Hey, hey, hey. Uh, That's a whole other thing. Anyway, I don't know why I did that. That's Fred Albert. This is the other one. Hey.
0: Job of the Hutt was originally going to be played by Fred (laughs) Albert. That would have been great. That would have been
2: awesome. Okay. I'm liking this. Keep going. (laughs) We have all read this this series before. And. I know that for many fans out there, whether you ended up liking the E.U. or not, I don't recall anybody having an issue with the Thrawn novels. And part of that is because people really liked Admiral Thrawn as a villain. So, again, rereading this, I wanted to ask you about how he lives up as a villain now, having all of the experience you have with so much more storytelling, being older gentlemen now, um, you know, we're not just eager fanboys lapping everything up. We we have a lot more experience uh, between us. So I just kind of wondered, how does he play for you now? And is he as strong, or is he stronger than he was, you know, say the first time he read through this trilogy? Wow. Um, Now
1: remember, you're an older gentleman.
0: (laughs) Yes, (laughs) Well, right in my day, back when I first read well, Thrawn. sonny, let me tell you. You know, I I was definitely one of those people that revered Thrawn the first time I read the series. I was like, oh, great, great villain. But Bruce, I got to give you credit for really calling out, and I paid attention to it after we had discussed heir to the empire. He knows everything, like I, he's like he's he's almost a disappointment as a villain because it's impossible to outthink him and it's like that's 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 like beyond even lex Luthor level insanely It's like a
2: walking encyclopedia galactica
0: yeah he's beyond that though like you know he he'll stand there and it's like oh well it looks like they're doing all of this and they're gonna do this hmm i don't know and then he like goes off and he's like they would want me to think that they thought i knew that they knew i'd think that this was happening and so it must be this and i know that i'm right like so, I could be wrong once in a while, you know. Like let him pull off one caper against the guy, just one. I don't well, know. And, that was and you know.
2: That's I would say that's what's interesting about the last command is because he actually is wrong in the end. He doesn't count on
0: well the smugglers. Yeah, but like he's 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 not really wrong. He just didn't think he didn't take the smugglers into account like that but that's
2: being wrong he's been somebody who can take everything into account all at one time and there's finally something he doesn't account for and
0: I don't know Luke I think I think that point of view of wrong is a little expansive
2: yeah but he underestimates the the feeling within the smuggling community and what he's created what he's responsible for making them feel
0: okay well see I'll just say that feels a little cheap to me because he's...
2: Oh, I'm not... I wasn't commenting Oh, all. I know. I was just,
0: I, he just... He feels beaten by accident. And it's like, if you're going to build the guy up through these three books to be this super intelligent supervillain and he's beaten by accident, I, I won't lie, it left me a little flat. And it, I remember it leaving me a little flat all the way back when I first read it too where I was like, oh, wait, that that's it? He's dead? Like, it, you know, I don't know. That, it, it that, just, yeah, it just felt, that's
1: how I felt this time too it was just like all of a sudden it's like whoa did wait is he dead is it done is it over already that seemed like really quick
0: right and and if he's at the stage where he doesn't trust the nogiri nogri nagri cat people whatever um if he doesn't trust them to the point where he won't send them on missions for him anymore why does he keep rook as a bodyguard right if you suddenly don't trust everybody from that planet why would you keep him as a bodyguard? And he knows everything, so he
1: should have known better. Right. But that's the failing. He, one time he was wrong.
2: Okay. No, uh, not just right. that. Not just that. I'll, I'll say this is this is what's so interesting about Thrawn. He, he continues throughout the entire series to talk about the failings of the Emperor. And what was the big failing of the Emperor in Return of the Jedi, and Luke calls it out, is your overconfidence is your weakness. And Thrawn has the same issue. He is overconfident in his ability to be able to judge what his enemy is going to do, and that finally catches up with him. Not only his overconfidence in his enemy and what they're going to do, but his overconfidence in himself to be able to control a crazy man, which by its very definition is crazy, because nobody controls crazy people because they do crazy things. So that's what I love about him is he's so overconfident in his own ability to control that he becomes hoisted on his own petard. You can't control everything, and you can't know everything. And when you pretend like you do, that's when you lose. And even the same thing, I think, for the Nogri the Empire has seeded its own doom in its treatment of all of these things, whether it's the Nogri, whether it's the people under them, whether it's the way that they've uh, brought in and they've treated Sabaoth and tried to control him. I mean, there's an arrogance and a presupposition and an overconfidence that becomes their own doom. And that's Star Wars. You know, that's the original Star Wars trilogy. Um, is and, and that's also the story of the prequels is that overconfidence of the Jedi leading to their doom. So there's this whole thing throughout, I think, the, the, the Star Wars saga is not thinking too much of yourself that you you set yourself up to fail. Uh, and I think Thrawn thinks too much of himself and his own ability and he sets himself up to fail And whether or not he's the greatest villain, I don't know. But I think that made him a compelling villain because, you know, it it also wasn't the thing that the EU became, which is the new Dark Jedi and or Sith of the month um, and or super weapon of the month. There's no super weapons in here. There's there's none of that. It's just a tactical genius that out-geniuses himself into losing, <laughs> but was
1: he a genius? But because here's the thing: when I'm reading, when I was reading this book, the third book, and as you mentioned, I had problems with the fact that Thrawn seemed to know everything. But as I'm reading through, and they're on Coruscant identifying where Delta Source is coming from, and then they shut Delta Source down. All of a sudden, Thrawn starts to fail so it made me wonder was he only successful because it appeared that he knew everything from the top of his head that he was putting things together when ac- when actually he was getting information from Delta Source
0: that is an extremely interesting read Um mm, I that, like it it really is I mean but he still like at Bill briggy he still I don't know he still sort of accidentally loses but You know what? That is a really interesting read. Like, should we revisit Thrawn as not necessarily a genius? I like that. I really like that read. And that also plays into the overconfidence thought. And it also plays into the overconfidence thought because if you're going long and you have this undetectable, perfect eavesdropping system and all of a sudden it gets shut down, like, why don't you reassess, like, what's, you know, like, he doesn't stop. No. He doesn't stop and go, Ooh, okay, we got to figure some things out here and, and get everything going. It's like he's on Again. Jeopardy
1: and he's given the answer, right. so he's arrogant. And look at me, I know all the answers. And they get no. to the final round, no one gives him the answer. It's like, oh, I'm going to lose. Uh,
0: no. Bob Dylan. He, no, he's Cliff Clavin. He's Cliff Clavin when he went on Jeopardy. Has everybody, if anybody hasn't watched Cheers, I think it's on Netflix or something, go and watch it. But there's a know-it-all character played by John Ratzenberger, who was in The Empire Strikes Back as Major Derlin. Um, and he uh he goes on Jeopardy and he winds up killing it through the entire thing and he loses. Uh and I won't give away his uh his final answer, but um the uh <laughs> the the clue was like three, three, uh three names from from history. And he gives this answer that's like technically correct, but he loses everything because it's it's obviously very wrong. So there you go. Thrawn is actually the Cliff Claven of uh, Grand Admirals. I like that.
2: But I think, I like that, Bruce, because I think that it is both, honestly. I think it's a bit of both. You know, I, I think he has a well placed source and he is smart. Uh, but I, I think, to me, that his genius and his is is overshadowed by the overconfidence especially when i look at him trying to control sabo and i just it, the idea of bringing somebody who is insane into your inner you know sanctum uh of all your plans and thinking that you're going to be able to control that person that it really t- showed me that this guy He's just he thinks he's the, you know, the deal, the shiznit, you know, and he's just he he's overplaying his hand. And, and so Who's
1: the more insane, the insane or the insane who thinks he can control the insane.
0: You damn lunatic. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> uh, you know what, though? I will say that uh, a character that I did enjoy the first time that I enjoyed even more this time was Pelayan. Uh, because I thought he was very yes. sympathetic. Because he was, he's you know he's part of the empire, but you don't hate him. He's just he's like a career military man, and uh, like he's at the end of this, he's very human. Like when it, when it all comes crumbling down, and he was there for Endor, and like he's going down with the ship again, and he's like, oh man, again, Oh, bummer. Like I I you know. You don't feel sorry for him because he's a bad guy, but you you understand the humanity, the human moment there of like, oh, this would have been better if we just hadn't even tried because this hurts even worse.
2: You just hear him going, son of <laughs> again. Yeah, I get
1: the uh, impression that totally he's true. retiring and he's moving to tatooine and just gonna sit in the sun and said yeah i kind of got caught up with the wrong crowd and i just decided to leave
0: (laughs) so so wait did did he get retired and he's refurbishing an old skiff and he's gonna go sail the dune sea for the rest of his life (laughs) yes that's
1: a that's the perfect retirement right there or maybe went to jakku (laughs) hey i'm gonna throw that one in there
0: hey you know one desert's the same as the next yep
2: well yeah just drinking away in Tatooineville, you know Looking for his lost shaker of salt.
0: <laughs> Some
2: people think that it was a Thrawn to blame, but it was my own damn fault. <laughs> uh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, God, we are on fire. You know tonight. why? Um. Why
1: because the Force Awakens is coming
2: out real, real soon for us. That and Ruby spiked these holiday beverages. Um yeah. okay, there there again, there's a lot of storylines going on and uh one of the storylines that we do get here is this whole idea of the smugglers alliance of them you know, there's a big vacuum that's been had because Luke killed Job of the Hutt and they were all responsible for that our our nice uh, band of merry fellows and that has created a shift in the smuggling world and card begins to bring these different smuggling factions together to create an alliance to help the new republic he 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 realizes finally that and this is what so I saw, thought was so interesting is that kind of turn that we see in Han, but we're, we're getting to see it in a little bit more detail with Card, of realizing, who do you want to do business with? You know, do you really want to be doing business with slavers and people like the Empire, or do you feel like it might be a safer galaxy to be in with the New Republic? And I... I, I there's part of this storyline where I feel like it's a little bit too in-depth, and it's kind of... It, it pays off enough at the end, but it's a little slow in parts. I think it could have been cut down, but it was still kind of an interesting idea to see that whole side of the galaxy, and them try to figure out what their place in this galaxy is now after this monumental shift of you know Return of the Jedi.
0: One could make the argument that if Card is getting, uh, you know, all of these smugglers together, and they're all going to go legit they're technically going to become traders and you know as opposed to doing anything illegal so i suppose he's putting together a trade federation uh in this book just throwing that one out there for you is that legal <laughs> i'll make it legal uh you know i agree with you that that this part could have been trimmed down it feels in this book i, I think that that Zahn show shows that he really liked his creation of card. And so I think he winds up spending time with him because he enjoys writing him and having him in those situations. Uh, So I do agree. It could have been trimmed down. I do think it's interesting from the perspective that all of these people are then going legitimate. They're not going to be smugglers if they're working hand in hand with the Republic because they're working with the legal government to do things. And so there's an interesting, almost, um, a shadow storyline of you know now that the republic is in place that the entire galaxy everybody's becoming sort of on the up and up like there there's a, a wave of goodness taking everything through
2: there's this idea that they're becoming legitimate and that struggle like we saw with han of letting go of that roguish nature and being okay with being like you said on the up and up you know, I, I thought that was, that's the part of the story that I thought was really interesting, even though it could have been trimmed down a little bit because there's some page count in here that you could probably chopped out about 15 to 20 pages of their storyline and still ended up at the same place.
0: Or yeah. And, but not just cut them outright, but given more time to Mara and Luke, uh, yes, I would have, I would have yes. liked to see more time with Mara and Luke through the story. Um, I think that there is a lot going on in this book, and the ending, I mean, by the end of the book, it just felt very crowded. There were there were too many people, too many cooks in the kitchen, basically, and it just it felt like uh, he felt almost obligated. Uh, Zahn almost felt obligated to have everybody in the same room while everything's going on, and it's kind of like I, that was something that jumped out at me was you had the fleet fight going on, but none of our main heroes were partaking in it. And that didn't feel right. Somebody from the core crew should have been flying or on a command ship, whether it was Leia or Lando or Chewie and Han or 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 even Luke flying in it. I mean, Luke couldn't be because you have to have the big showdown and everything. But, you know, like, did, did anybody else have that same sort of feeling of like, yeah, you know... Why are they all here when, you you know, you could make me care more about the space battle by having, you know, uh, Leia's mind versus, like, say it's Leia's mind versus Thrawn's mind, and Leia's the one that outwits him. You know, like, by spreading out the heroes, you have, I think, a, a, a healthier mix, a, a, you know, a more substantial ending overall.
1: Well, that's more like the Star Wars movies. They're more spread out like that. I mean, they're they're together and then they get spread apart, and one's doing one thing, one's doing the other for the ultimate result. And I did feel that way when it got to the end. Uh, It felt like we were getting to the end because everybody's in the same place, and we knew that they weren't all going to die. So if anything, because I couldn't remember exactly how it ended from when I read it years ago, but I thought, okay, which one of our main characters is going to be the one that kills, say was it Sabioth. And it did feel a bit crowded, a little too convenient to have everyone there.
2: Do you think that possibly the way that it ends was Zahn's very clever way of showing that Thrawn, even though he is kind of the main villain, that the heart of this story has been about the direction that the Jedi are going to take in the future with Luke, and therefore, that the heart of the story became transferred from what happened to Thrawn and him being the really bad villain to what was going on with Luke and Mara and Leia. And that's kind of why everybody ended up in that storyline, because that, it it's it's kind of a subtle thing i feel like that's maybe where Zahn is that that's the point of the theme here uh that the heart of what's happening here is not just what's going on militarily but it's it's what's happening with the force i don't know am i way off base does that make it does that make any more sense
0: no that that that, make, that makes that makes perfect sense i mean yeah you're right it is ultimately always going to come down to you know the the light versus dark as personified by you know the jedi versus the dark jedi or sith um or knights of ren or whomever um and so that's always going to be at its core but i don't know like it can be that while having people in other situations i mean you know to speak to the i mean it's very clearly in these books Leia's going down the road of being a Jedi, so you still have that, you know, light side, dark side interplay with, you know, if if Leia's outsmarting throne at the battle or or something like that. Like I, I don't think you sacrifice that that core story element by not having all of the heroes in one place, unless I'm misreading you. Like I, I'm trying to, I think I'm speaking to the the point you were making. That like this does transition from military battle to force battle, but in the first two books, in the first three quarters of this book, there's so much concentration on the military battle that to suddenly, in the end of it, completely switch the focus and make the space battle feel like an afterthought, I, I think that's what sort of undercuts it.
2: No, I I I agree um, with you. I just uh, that was something that came to my mind while you were talking. Like maybe maybe this is the point, but I do kind of agree with you. In the end, that story feels truncated. You know, it it doesn't feel as important as it should have been, especially with the end of Thrawn. Um, and um, I think you're right. It would have been kind of cool if it had been like Lando outwitting him uh or Mahan and Chewy or something like that. You know, it just the most unlikely person, uh, kind of like a hobbit, uh un, you know, taking down Thrawn. Uh it, but in the end, I still think that kind of happens with the smugglers that unlikely, you know, look down upon group that he doesn't give enough credit to or his undoing. And again uh, now that I think about it, that's actually kind of cool because it's very, you know, the Lord of the Rings Hobbitish kind of thing, that that group that you just don't pay any attention to, they're gonna get you every time.
0: Sure, sure. Um, I, I did, you know. Speaking of that, I did find it was interesting that on Wayland, which basically seems to function as evil Endor, like the natives were. Uh, they almost seemed like a response to the Ewoks in terms of making them more vicious and intimidating. But at the same time, the role that they play is as playthings of the evil overlord. Um, so I thought that was, you know, that, that was an interesting thing where it seems that the overlooked group of natives on the planet was handled this time and so, I guess to speak to your point, that's where the that smuggler group steps in as the overlooked one. So maybe it was a a swap, uh, you know, between the two groups for who was going to play that role. Sure.
2: Yeah, uh, I I agree with you. Um, well, switching over to the assault on Coruscant, uh, you know, it, it's it's an, an interesting thing, you know, the way that Thrawn decides to jump into Coruscant and do this action very much like Grievous at the end of episode 3 that battle there but you know he throws cloaked asteroids in orbit so that they'll decay around Coruscant and then the you know we end up here with uh, the New Republic scrambling to try and figure out a way to find them and I wanted to ask you guys about what you thought about that storyline there. And then, of course, the resolution to it, because, you know, that's that's the other big part is is not just the storyline itself, but actual resolution.
1: I would have liked I was hoping not that I want anybody to die. Don't get me wrong. But I was hoping that one of the asteroids would actually get through the shield and crash on the Coruscant. I thought, oh, my gosh, something big is about to happen. And then oh, they figured it out. They got rid of the asteroids. everything's fine and dandy. I was just a little disappointed. I just would think that there'd be some something that would happen with those. You know when when I do improv, uh, you know they say in classes, you know, if something is thrown out there like, oh, there's an asteroid it's gonna crash, well, make it crash. make something happen. you know, heighten up the stakes. And it just was kind of like, well, it's there. They diffused it and everything's fine now. And I just found that to be a little disappointing and boring.
0: Well, it's also disappointing because the whole reason they go to Bill bringing shipyards is to get the crystal grav field begins with a T trap.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah but like
0: they've that. already resolved the asteroid. Right. So, why so what the hell is that? the point of the mission?
1: Yeah. I was wondering that too. So why are we trying to get that if the we've resolved the asteroid? We don't need unless they were thinking they were going to use it for further uh, future use in case something like that happens again. I don't know.
0: Maybe. Yeah I, yeah,
1: I
2: think what it was is that they hadn't heard that that had been taken care of.
0: Well, the thing and... is, they doubted that it was taken care of. They didn't think it yeah, was. Yeah. But that still feels kind of. I don't know. It falls flat. I mean, it, yeah, it plays in a Thrawn's gambit and blah 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 blah, but it just it's uh, it, it doesn't have story payoff for me. Like if I'm you know, and I read the book and and that was in the back of my mind the whole time was like, well, you guys don't need that anymore. What the hell do you care? I don't care. I know you don't need it. Yeah. Doesn't matter whether you know you need it. I know you don't need it. So, yeah, yeah.
1: But maybe then want to just mm-hmm. get it away because. You know, again, kissing happens again or or the uh or Thrawn's gonna use those for something else later and they might as well I, I don't know. I don't know.
2: Well and that's yeah. what I was saying earlier when I was talking about the the storyline for the smugglers feeling eh, you know, there's there's part of it like you were just talking about, John, that just okay, that doesn't why are they doing this? And it's not really important, but they're going to end up being important on accident. And so, I get completely what you're saying because there's just it doesn't work for me as well when I'm reading it here as it did. I think back when I was a kid and I wasn't paying attention. Uh, so, um, yeah, it, it's an interesting story, but it's just. Yeah this part doesn't work as well as it should because like you said, there's some logical, it seems like logical errors and what they're even doing and why they're doing it. So, yeah.
0: But I mean, we, we talk about the ending and we're sort of dancing around it here. I I have to know because when this book first came out and every time I look at the cover, I'm reminded of this, this is the first time I can consciously remember a piece of artwork having to do with the story spoiling the ending for me. Yeah. (laughs) Because I remember looking at the cover and seeing the brown robe and the blue saber and remembering the conversation from Dark Force Rising about the special project at Mount Tantis, looking at the cover and going, oh, she's going to kill a clone of of Luke. All right. And it was like, it's right there on the cover. It's like, make me work for it a little bit. Don't just throw things up there so that I can... I mean, yes, I, you know, Bruce, you have the beautiful posters behind you. And the, the posters are there. And you can see a Death Star and Vader and lightsaber for the original Star Wars poster. And you can see story elements there. But there's nothing there that's giving away what specifically happens at a certain point. And the cover for this book will always be maddening to me because it will always give away. There's no way I can even accidentally forget that story element because I look at the cover of the book. And there it is. Okay, she's going to fight a clone of Luke. I know that. And it was like, so it, when the big reveal happens at the end of Luke Skywalker, like, it was like, yeah, okay, Luke, I knew this was coming. Why didn't this happen Luke, earlier? Luke! Right, yeah.
2: Luke! <laughs> yeah. Maybe they were just paying attention to, uh, you know, uh, Uncle Owen at the beginning of- uh, <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> Luke! Luke! <laughs> I mean, the way he says
0: it, it's just, that's a, don't, can't you hear the clone right there? But you you guys, like, the cover blew it for you too, right? No.
1: Mm-mm. I didn't look at the cover that no? close. Was, especially at this reading, I didn't even have the jacket on my book. I just had the hardcover without the jacket on it. Sassy. But uh, back then, I I don't I don't know I don't re- recall it. I I don't think I really paid that much attention to it to look at and and figure it out like that. Hmm. But you know, I'm
2: I'm
0: not well. all that. Yeah, bright. you know,
2: I don't think I did either. Oh,
0: stop it! Probably I was just sitting there longingly staring at it through the bookstore window as i well, saved it, up my it looks like mara money.
1: is fighting luke the thing that gives it away is like you said the the saber color because it should yeah. be green if it's luke but since it's not green it's blue but I, I don't think i spent time to think it through that
0: i also did not agree with her outfit on the cover that camouflage outfit just didn't work for me
2: it's kind of weird yeah doesn't
0: I'm look mara lying. like it's... at all
2: no um i i do want to move on to the mountain takedown because this is a huge part of the story where we end up. Uh, the rumble in the jungle, as we were talking about on the other side of the the what do we call it? You know, the other side of the bar here. And so, uh, you know, this storyline for me again, it is the heart of this whole saga it's really what it's been building to with Mara and Luke and that's really where I thought was interesting because you know Bruce you talked about in the first book Mara eh, whatever Uh, you're waiting for her to get interesting and this is where I think all of what he's been doing really all of a sudden paid off that the storyline became about Mara and Luke and that I don't know to me it felt really organic and it, it it worked i i really like this part of the resolution so I, what did you guys ended up thinking about this you know mountain takedown on tantus
1: well it worked for me and i do like mara a lot better now in this book it paid off because in the other books i just felt she was more whiny and more out for revenge and just pissed off all the time and now we're seeing different sides and different dimensions of her and her wanting to protect uh the twins and leia and han and and struggling with should she kill luke or not and then the resolution to that was pretty cool so them being on wayland together and her and luke bonding having a nice relationship i in in some ways i felt like luke was a little too accepting of her um The fact that she's saying she wants to kill him and she used to work for the emperor. He just seemed very much the, the boy scout to, yeah, well, you know, I I can overlook that. It's, you know, I almost wanted to hear more that maybe Luke had more of a crush. Like there was just, he was giving her excuses because he thought she was hot. See, I would have liked to have heard something like that. Uh,
0: yeah, I, I I can't disagree with you, Bruce, that, uh, if he had written more directly about some sort of attraction, that would have because any time that it the the books speak about like Luke wondering if you know there's a future for her, it would have been interesting for him to be entertaining the thought consciously of you know I really like her a lot and like and then he just he has to keep working through the his own conflicting emotions because like she has to work through her conflicting emotions of she's decent or she has to work through the conflicting emotions of he's decent but i want to kill him and you know he has to work through the conflicting emotions of she's decent but she wants to kill me and it's like that 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 would have been nicer to, and again i think that speaks to matt your point about the smuggler storyline being given too much time that that could have been given more time to develop i think in all three books there're segments that could have been excised for the sake of having Luke and Mara together for longer periods of time and interacting more and teasing out those that relationship more.
2: I I would have liked that too
0: um, because it was great
2: to get to the end and they're the heart of everything and part of it is is Luke getting to do this thing that he's been worried about with Leia and he he starts to do so organically with Mara which is be her master, be a Jedi master. He's not pushy. He's not overbearing. Um, he is encouraging, and he is able to get her to practice, to um, see the benefit of working on her you know, technique through the Force in a way that uh, it, it shows good leadership. It, 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 he's a great teacher to her. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. Again, it's such a subtle story here of showing Luke become a good master without putting him in that relationship just yet.
0: Yeah, and and I think it, I think it's important to also highlight that just the etymology of the word master comes from magister, teacher in Latin. So to see him. Be, naturally, become a master in the sense of, I, I think that the, like he puts so much pressure on himself, and Mara even speaks to this. Like he puts a lot of pressure on himself about how he's going to train Leia and the twins, and I think the reason it comes more naturally and more freely with Mara is he doesn't feel pressure about it. You know, like it, there is a like a natural rapport between the two of them, and I think that that's an important. Uh, story element is when he relaxes when he stops concentrating on whether or not he's a good Jedi or will be a good teacher he simply is one well that's interesting because
1: he feels a responsibility for Leia and the twins he doesn't necessarily necessarily feel that responsibility with Mara he wants to go there but if it doesn't work that's fine but he can't not have it work with leia and the twins he has to be responsible for them
0: yeah yeah
1: and you know also he he, we should see him work that mara angle there you know he he comes from anakin he should have the greatest one-liners just like his father did he knows how to work it
0: (laughs) when i think of you being cloned by sabayoff i can't breathe sorry (laughs) or breathe (laughs) (laughs) Everything, <laughs> vowels and apostrophes for all. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that was, a, I thought, an interesting thing, you know, the way, the idea of why they were using Tantus and the Yasulamiri Mary around it and, and blanketing that and cutting off the force is because when you clone, you actually are connecting a being to the force and if you don't give it enough time it uh that it needs to mature more naturally in the force that it it creates a craziness in that being and and that's why they cut them off from the force so these are actually beings almost outside the force which i thought was kind of interesting like they're they're not it's almost like they're soulless beings and yeah. soulless minions of orthodoxy <laughs> and yeah. it's it was really interesting idea because um you could tell that this clone of luke had been cloned it seems like with the force so that he could take on luke as an equal
0: yeah but he was he was like a a puppet for sabaoth like, through the whole thing. Like, he doesn't even talk. He's like zombie Luke. And, yeah. you know, uh, uh, it's interesting because very obviously the notion of midichlorians is not there. Like, it sort of is there but isn't there. Like, he, he, like the whole Isalamiri e. thing, it, it almost speaks to this idea that that there is a a scientific explanation for this spiritual side of existence, Um, you know, sort of like naturally occurring here. But with the clones being raised outside of the force, I think that the, the biggest story element, and I think the thing that saves it, that even gives you room to retcon to leave this story intact after the prequels come out, is that they speak very specifically about these types of cloning cylinders and that these clones are being grown way faster than normal. Like, we had 20-something days, 21 days or something like that. And, uh, like, you know, somebody even says, that's impossible. And, like, you find out that maybe it's not... Like you can go back and you can retcon it in a sense to say that like what the E Salamiri make possible is that these clones can be grown in less than 10 years. Like that's what becomes possible for them. Whereas like the Caminoans, you could retcon and say they're able to grow those clones because that is enough time for these beings to mature right. in the natural order.
2: Well, because they definitely, I mean, they have growth acceleration, but they spend an exorbitant amount of time, you know, five, six, seven, eight years, it seems like more of their life is in training. You know, they don't grow so fast that it's what, 20 days or something that they're able to do this. So yeah, the, the Camino cloners are following much more the quote unquote, I guess, natural order of of cloning
0: well they're going for quality not quantity mm-hmm. these are premium clones. that's very yeah. true that's right that-
2: they are well and what look at the product that you got i mean rex and cody and and uh gregor and all, i mean all and don't forget that, kicks kicks uh, from yeah that's the only right, one that from, we know is
0: going to survive all the way out
2: that is that is very true Um, so I, I think that that was a really interesting thing. And then I wanted to touch on the very end of the book after the rumble in the jungle, which was, you know, this small scene at the end where we talked about, uh, it became about the lightsaber and Luke passing it on to Mara and the really building that relationship. I I thought it was so wonderfully done, um, she, what I love is that she has a bit of Han and or Leia in he, in her, that kind of roguishness, that kind of snarkiness, and everything. And Luke is that, you know, very. Uh, he's that genuine down home boy. You know, he's that farm boy, and he's such a uh, a good person. And I I think those two, you know, again, they they make this great pairing. It will go on to be, you know, the one of the key couples for the EU. But I have to say, I feel like, especially with the end of this book, I feel like Zahn has done such a good job of not just pushing them together arbitrarily, but slowly weaving together a tapestry that leads towards you wanting Mara and Luke to be together. You know, I mean, uh, as, as a guy, I'm a shipper of things uh, with relationships and shows. Always have been. I definitely became a Luke and Mara shipper after this.
0: I've never heard the term shipper before this moment. And um,
1: Cause you're an older man. Remember I'm an
0: older gentleman, Bruce. You're right. Get me my mint julep, please. I, uh, I had to get back to the nursing home. Look, I'm going to say that I can't recall whether this was occurring in my head back when I was a teenager Or whether this is just because I am an older gentleman and and perhaps my brain is a little lecherous. But when I got to that coda scene at the end of the book and she's standing on the balcony. Please tell me I'm not the only one that in the back of my head I see this scene as occurring after something you can't really show in a Star Wars book. If that makes sense. Something has happened between Luke and Mara that maybe is a little lethal weapon too-ish. Oh, shame on you,
1: John. Shame on you. Come on, on I'm
0: the the only one. I'm the only one. Okay, there you go. So maybe
2: this was... It was on the cover. ...after a uh, a close encounter, we should say?
0: Um, I would say that they learned that all beings are one in the Force. Okay. (laughs) Yeah.
2: No, I... That actually, I mean... Again, I I think, I think that kind of makes sense. You know, uh, it, it, it's interesting to hear to see again. You know, Luke is going to do things differently than the old Jedi Order, especially when we see the prequels. He's going to to do it differently. He's going to be okay with people getting married and having Jedi babies and allowing them to become Jedi to go save the galaxy and, um. It's going to be a different thing. So, And he is
0: a Skywalker. I mean, those guys, they just, you know, they're, they're ladies men. Uh-huh. Let's just face it, like father, like son here.
1: Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the problem I had with that scene at the when I first read it was like, why would he give Mara his father's lightsaber, the lightsaber that Obi-Wan gave to him? He's not going to keep it for himself. He's not going to give it to his sister. It's his father's lightsaber, and he's going to give it to Mara, who's still practically somewhat of a stranger. But at the same time, then I thought, well, then again, Leia and Luke really don't have fond memories of their father. and He he wasn't a good guy. Yeah. And so, you know what? He may have even gone to Leia and said, do you want this? And she's like, oh, God, no. No, I I don't want to think of him.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, no, uh, but also to speak to the whole relationship thing, it's almost like, you know, he he gave the girl his class ring in a sense. You know, like, they're going steady now. He gave her something so incredibly meaningful to him and his family that, like, that's, that's his class ring, and, and now they're a couple. Now they're going steady.
1: And that's why it needed, the book needed just a little more hints of his... Him being attracted to her. And I think that would have agreed that better.
0: Absolutely agreed.
2: It's funny, I, I don't think I feel as strongly about it because I think I think throughout all of it, it maybe he's just being too subtle, but I, I do feel like Zahn is put something in that relationship that goes beyond oh, she wants to kill me and you know. Uh, I, I feel like there's something that Luke can feel through the Force about Mara that's letting him know this is somebody that I need to be involved with. I need to be involved with her training in the Force, but I also need to get to know. And um, that's why he trusts her instinctively, because he's trusting the Force. And that's one of the things I like about Luke in this storyline that Zahn tells us, is that Luke is very committed to the Force itself. And I think that leads me into the next thing that I want to talk to you guys about, which is with great power comes blah, 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 blah. Luke reflects on this idea of how to instill in these new Jedi, especially Jaina and Jason, who he's going to train, even Leia, maybe Mara, the importance of the power they wield and what to do with it. I I thought that that was such a great and interesting message that, you know, power doesn't make right, especially since Sabaoth has been telling them, look, the Jedi fell because we didn't rule, because we didn't use our power. Um, it, It would have been different if we had been the ones fully in charge and not allowed weaklings to take us over Uh, This is a really great theme throughout this series.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, that's it in a nutshell. You know, like, I I think that what Luke works his way through by, you know, developing his relationship with Mara, you know, to speak to that point is relaxing about the responsibility, like the responsibility paralyzes him through the first two books. And then then in here in the third book, he sort of figures out the balance of like, you know what? Whatever happens is going to have to happen, and you know that's his next step as as a Jedi toward master
1: yeah, he's not power hungry, so he's not going to go down that path that uh, Sabioth told him about you know Jedi need to have power he comes he's that farm boy that comes from a good upbringing, and I think he senses that good in in Mara. And of course, in his sister and the twins, and it's not about power. It's about being the best of yourself. And he wasn't seeing that in Sabaoth or Thrawn or anyone. And so if anything, it discourages him from seeking power and doing the opposite and just being the best that he can be and helping these individuals.
2: Well, and this is going to be interesting because, you know, the EU is going to take this into a place where the new Republic Jedi become much like the old Republic Jedi in that they're too tied to the new Republic. And part of that is because we didn't have the prequel trilogy to to really let us know what the mistakes of the Jedi Order were. And, you know, it it is interesting when we talk about this in like uh, the prequels that, and we look towards The Force Awakens, it seems pretty clear that Luke hasn't gone off and started off a Jedi Order yet. And it almost, I'm, that's the thing I'm the most interested to see is why that hasn't happened, why Luke hasn't taken that plunge, because it seems like an important thing, and at least the setup here that Thrawn gives still fits so well within, I think, even with the prequels of the way that Luke's handling things. He hasn't rushed into this or anything like that. He is searching the Force. He's trying to understand. And I just, I, I find that fascinating. And that's one of the things that I really, in the end, I love about this trilogy is that Zahn did such a good job of not rocking the boat so much that it actually still is pre- pretty congruous with the prequels. Uh, and it sets a great stage for some other things to come. Like, you could almost have kept a lot of this and started a new EU from this. You know, I, I just... It it showed me just how strong the ideas were that Zahn was working with, even though he didn't have the full picture of everything George was going to create.
1: Well, it even works with the new film, even though I haven't seen the new film as of, as of this recording. But when he, Luke hands over uh, his father's lightsaber, Mara, and knowing that that lightsaber appears in The Force Awakens, I thought, well, you know, this could work. Somehow, you know, we, we now have found the lightsaber, and over the course of the next 25 years, something has happened to it that it's changed hands or, or whatever, but we now know it has been found and somehow it gets from Mars hands into others hands later on down the road. It'd be interesting to see once uh, we see the force awakens, how this, these novels, because we keep relating to, Oh, you know, these, these kind of still work with, with the prequels. You know, now that the prequels. They, it, it, they, they still kind of work. Well, I wonder if they still will kind of work with the new film, not considering the other canon novels that will come out and uh, contradict them more than likely. But it'd it it it'd be interesting if it still fits.
0: You know, I, I, I don't really have anything to add, except that in my brain right now, I'm having sort of a when when Force Awakens has come out and they have like the new EU a little more established, it would be really a lot of fun to have like a March Madness bracket and you have like old EU books versus new EU books and have sort of like a competition and whittle it down until you have like a champion left over. And that contributes absolutely nothing to what you guys were saying. Cause I got, I got nothing else to add.
2: Uh, well I, I would be hard pressed to have anything beat dark disciple. Uh, so that's just my vote for number one in the championship. So anyway, um, I wanted to ask you guys something and it's something that I thought about with this series and we've talked about how jam-packed this series is and we've talked about how jam-packed the you know when we talked to the prequels here on the show as we were talking through the films that they're so full and I wanted to ask you do you think that's because the original trilogy is so utterly focused that its universe building is is pretty small? And so that when you're going to expand that, you do kind of have a lot of work to do. You know, when you're making that universe bigger, there's a lot to get through when you're setting up the size of the galaxy. When you start... Um, you know, uh, talking about galactic politics and all the stuff that goes along with what it means to be in a galactic civilization. There's a lot to do. There's a lot that you need. And i, I that's one of the things that I was really impressed with was the way that Zon Universe builds here. And for me, John, it's the thing that really connects so much with what we see in the prequels. There's so much of that.
0: Yeah, uh, sure. You know, it's um, you know, I like it's. I think with the the originals, I think if there's anything Star Wars has done through time, it's it it has built as it goes, and so I like I don't necessarily like I think it's very hard to look at these books contemporarily and truly. Truly remember, uh, like the wide open field that there was uh, for them. And uh, while at the same time, they did, you know, regulate themselves to respect what had come from the West End games books, uh, the source books by, I think it was Bill Slavisek, um, you know, prior to them. So. Like it, yeah. I mean, like in, in terms of the world building, Zahn has a lot more space to roam free because the original three were tighter in scope. But I think, I think honestly, that's sort of been true of all of the Star Wars movies. I think the prequels are a little bit different because I, I honestly think that once those started, Lucas knew how big the un like what was in the universe. I don't think that there was as much free form between each chapter. Like he knew all of the major players and, and elements that were in place that were gonna be there through the whole trilogy. Whereas I think that this series does come by virtue of its timing along at a time where there is just by default Uh, you know, more space for the world building. So
1: it feels like I'm thinking about the whole trilogy at this point. This story ends very similar to how it began. I don't really feel like the characters, our main characters grew that much. I don't feel like they've changed that much. So I don't feel like I'm getting the, the payback I want from these books. I don't feel like, Oh, I can, That's fair. I can see Han has grown and and something new about his character that we've learned or something, a new situation he had to deal with. Luke is probably the closest to that when it comes to wanting to train Mara and maybe taking on that responsibility. But again, it feels very subtle. It doesn't really feel like a big jump for him. So a lot of ways, these books, there's so much going on. But then in the, in the sense, in the overall story, it's very simple. It's this, it's this admiral that is trying to have power and build up the empire and gets with this crazy Jedi who wants to get Luke and the twins and Leia and bring on his side and they fail at it and everyone lives happily ever after. Not much to it to me. I mean, it's it's a fun read. They're fun adventures. That's the thing. There's a lot of little fun adventures, a lot of different storylines going on. But at the end of it, it all wraps up to where they were at the beginning. And maybe that was maybe maybe Zahn didn't have that freedom to really stretch the characters and take them in new directions.
0: Well, I, I think I think you're more right about Luke. I think Luke shows some forward progress, but I do think that everybody else Yeah, I I don't really see anything happening with uh, with Lando or Han, Uh, maybe Leia. But Leia feels a little bit like she gets some short shrift um, in terms of her development uh, along the way. Um, But but overall, I do agree with you that, like, if there is character development, it's incremental. It's not. It's not the same type of giant arc that Luke goes through or even Han and Leia go through uh, in the original three films. Like their character arcs are, are much more blunted.
2: Character wise, it is interesting. I do feel like that the characters move forward, but it's it's not it's not a huge leap, but it's like a step. You know, it's a step forward. You know, the storyline doesn't take place over a lot of time, but it's a good step forward for each of them. You know, uh, I don't know what bigger change can happen than the fact that Leia and Han are married and they're having kids and they have twins. Uh, That's a monumental change to going from being carefree adults leading a rebellion to parents and responsible people and all of that. And I, I thought that was a nice change. You know, um Luke with his his growth in the force, just how confident he is in his abilities in the force at this point. Uh he's he's much more confident. Um and I really like that. Um you know Lando is very similar to what he is now and we just get more on other characters like Akbar and all of those kind of characters in, in the political realm that I thought was really interesting. So, um, you know, what I think is interesting, just in reference to the conversation towards The Force Awakens, um, I think that JJ is lucky that the prequels exist and that the galaxy of Star Wars is so big now through the prequels, the Clone Wars, Rebels, that he doesn't have to spend time explaining that to us. Um, He doesn't have to universe-build that way. George already did that, and I think he's going to reap the benefits from that. Whether they consciously reference the prequels and or give them credit within the film... Um, we already know there's gonna be things from there that have crept in, like flags on Maz Kanata's castle and that kind of stuff. Just little tiny things, all of these kind of things. Um, even the fact that I can accept the different planets that we'll go to, the Clone Wars has already conditioned me to be used to this, you know. Um, and it's it, that's what I see that uh, Zahn had to do in this trilogy. So that you could set up an EU, because it's called an expanded universe. He's expanding the universe. George did the same thing in the prequels, and now you know we get to reap the benefits from it with Episode Seven. So I just think that's a that's a really interesting thing. So, um, and uh, you know, I on a whole, I I have to ask you guys, how do you think that this universe expanding and this universe building? Do you think that Zon did it well for you? then and now um
0: you know acceptably uh i mean a lot of the stuff that he uses and this is not a knock this is not a knock on 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 the world building um like a lot of what he introduces are elements that were capitalized on again by the west end games books that were uh, similar to what rebels is doing using unused development concepts and repurposing them um, so that it was, you know, a, a discarded Joe Johnston sketch becomes a new ship that we meet. Um, you know, a, a new, ver- you know, like a, a discarded version of the Star Destroyer becomes the Interdictor cruiser um, and and those sorts of things. I, I think that I think that Zahn does a good job of of world building in the sense that some of his descriptions are extremely uh, vivid and believable and uh, like visually there in in your mind. I think some of his world building is not phenomenal because I struggle with the descriptions of some of the things through all three books, Uh, not the least of which are the Nogiri. The the image of them sort of shifts in my brain through all three books Um, until finally I have sort of a Riemann-looking creature in my brain um like you know that ron perlman as as a Reman, only a lot shorter um and more wiry and uh, uh, a, a bit darker gray like you know that that's what i walked away with uh this time but uh, like in in terms of his world building yeah he does set up a lot of stuff but at the same time a lot of what he's setting up is really just characters Designed to power the story forward, and I think one of the one of the great missteps of the old expanded universe was while they jumped around, which was an interesting way to do things. And so, like after, I forget what they had right after Zahn's books, I, but I, I want to say Truce of Picura. I could be wrong. It might have been Courtship of Princess Leia. Well, anyway, they jumped backward in the timeline, and um, what was really interesting about that was it you wound up losing a large head of steam with regards to mara jade and talon card very obviously these books were set up with the idea that we would get future books and they would use these characters going forward the same way that we use the original trilogy characters in this series and so Unfortunately, there's no real room f- to pass a baton, uh, but there, they did grow the family, and I think that that you know, that's the biggest part of his world building.
1: I think it's a great seed. It's a great seed to start the EU. I think we've we're introduced to a different time period, five years after the Return of the Jedi, and we're getting a look at the state of the galaxy and what's happening and introducing ourselves to new characters and some new worlds. And it definitely got me interested this round because I haven't read all of the EU, but it definitely got me interested to want to go and read some of the other books, uh, past, you know, things that happened before these books, things that happen after, um, it's just, I think it's a great seed. It's not, it's a big epic adventure, these three books, but it's not, a huge important chapter in the overall saga. It's, it could be skipped. Uh, but I think it's a fun read. I think that the adventures are there. I think it feels like star Wars, but it, you can't relate them to the films. These are definitely what, these would not be a seven, eight, nine, regardless of what we're getting now. These do not have that same build of episode four starts with a farm boy who then conquers the M you know, The Empire. Then, in the next film, he, you know, goes against the Empire and and faces finds out that Darth Vader is his father. And then the next movie, it's redemption of his father, and he faces him and the Emperor. I mean, those are big sweeping things that are going on in that story. I'm not feeling that from this. It's just a big adventure. And like I said, the characters pretty much where they were at the start of the story, but they're fun. And I would recommend reading these to anyone who's a Star Wars fan. I would definitely take tell Star Wars fans to read
2: these. Uh, what I love is um, that the world building—it's just interesting, you know. It it opens up when I think about um, a non-prequel world. What Zahn is doing is exactly what the prequels needed to do to expand the galaxy, to understand what a gal- you know a galactic government and that kind of thing with this battle what we're really fighting for, all the different factions involved. And it's good. You know, I is it perfect? No. But is it good? Yes. And and that's what I liked. Uh is is that it still feels good even now. And that is impressive. Most impressive. And, you know, I'm I'm glad that we did this. I'm glad we went back and reread these because I appreciate them more even now. Even though I won't rate them as highly as I did before, I appreciate them, I think, more than I did before. And so on that note, Bruce, what is your rating for Last Command? And then what is your ranking for the books?
1: Ooh, wow. Okay, so uh, the first book I gave for... Uh, whatever, stars or whatever. I gave four hot chocolates, I think it was. And the next book, uh, Dark Force Rising, I gave four. And I think there were four flying rocks. This book, I liked the best out of the three. This was the payoff. This is everything I was hoping to get that was leading up to this point when I was reading through the other two novels. I did like Mara Jade more. I liked the fact that... Uh, you know, the, the good guys won. I mean, who wouldn't want that? I did like the fact that they, uh, the, the characters did more together than maybe they, as a group, than they did in, in the other books. But all in all, uh, I would say my ranking is this one's my favorite, uh, Heir to the Empire second, and then Dark Force Rising as uh, my third. Uh, and then the ranking, uh, the, I would give this one four and a half use in luke's
0: name <laughs> that's a lot of a lot of use. luke, uh, luke. <laughs> all the Hughes. use four uh, and a half of them i uh you know i don't i don't even remember what i ranked the previous two at this point just I,
2: make this your official ranking well it's, i know okay,
0: you gave
1: dark force the, rising three and a half i think
0: i did it was three and a half i, so. I probably gave air to the, all right Okay, then I think I probably gave Air to the Empire four. I probably gave I, I'll I'll take your word for it. As one older gentleman to another, we have to respect each other's memories here. And
2: oh, what did you say? I can't <laughs> hear you. Speak up.
0: Three and a half for Dark Force Rising. So, uh, man, I'm what I'm going to do is I'm going to wind up giving this four, and then retroactively knocking Air to the Empire back down to three and a half because this is the best one. It's decidedly better than Air to the Empire uh, because it has an ending, um, which was one of the things that ticked me off about Air to the Empire. And so I, I think just across the board, this is my favorite. This time around, Dark Force Rising winds up at the bottom of the heap. If I have to give them sort of like a ranking order, it would go Last Command, Air to the Empire, uh, Dark Force Rising. Um I had a lot more problems with Dark Force Rising this time around than I did previously, Um, but all three of them are better than Aftermath.
2: You know, um, man, we're going to have a trifecta because I I do think this is the best book. I think Zahn had really found his footing. Uh, You know, I, I think anytime you start on a road like this as a writer, you're doing the first bit of... EU after Return of the Jedi. You're setting the stage for everything. It's a lot. It's a it's a big... I mean, you've been served at the big old plate of don't mess this up. And um, I, I think Zahn delivers. And I think uh, Last Command is a solid four, four and a half book. Because it really does wrap up well. Um, it could have been perfect if the ending, I think, honestly... Had been a little bit longer and some of the smuggler part had been cut down so that the ending could have, you know, I mean, we wrap everything up real quick.
0: If he if he could have at least either confirmed or denied what my my brain said and just told me what they were wearing while they were talking, it would have let me know.
2: <laughs> so I really um, so this is four and a half lost Luke hands. Uh, from Bespin, and with lightsaber in hand. Uh, and yeah, if I'm ranking the the Lost Command is first, then it's uh, Heir to the Empire, and then it's Dark Force Rising. All of these are good, and and like you said, John, all of these are better than Aftermath. Not that um, much yes. better. No.
0: Uh. <laughs> whoa! Whoa! Wait! Wait! wait. <laughs> no, We're he's kidding. No, I'm not. Really I'm Bruce? Are you kidding? He's kidding. No, I'm not. Really? I'm he has to i I refuse to believe that you're not kidding.
2: wait wait wait, wait, wait. okay, explain yourself
1: If anything, I appreciate aftermath even more after reading these because I thought they were pretty much on the same level. I only like these a little better than aftermath because these are characters I'm familiar with and the situations I'm familiar with. Aftermath, I don't think was that bad of a novel. it just didn't live up to the hype and it was introducing new characters and I'm very interested to see where those that those books go in the in book two and three.
0: Well, you're wrong.
2: So, uh, okay, um, <laughs> I I would say that I think that these are better written. I think the storylines are more interesting, and part of that is because that the new characters that Zon creates are connected with the characters we already know, and that's the important thing. In Star Wars, you were always connected to. Especially in the saga, we're always connected to characters that we know in the beginning. Uh, and the new characters that you interview are so the ones that are connected around them. No matter where we are in Star Wars, look at the films. You know, We start with Luke, we get Leia, we get Han, and everybody else is revolved around them. In the prequel trilogy, it's Obi-Wan we start off with and he's connected to Qui-Gon, he becomes connected to Anakin... We connect everything else there with Yoda. It's it's all characters we know, and everybody else we know to love, we get to know through them. Um, and I think that was the mistake with them with Aftermath of not allowing us to have that experience in the books, whereas the other books that we've gotten, say, especially Lost Stars. Lost Stars takes place on a completely different side of the coin. So therefore, we are having to create whole cloth new things for a good reason. But at the same time, Claudia Gray creates a fascinating, exemplary look at the Empire, which is something I think we've all wanted to understand of what life was like in the Empire. So there, we're already being fed as fans. At the same time, she creates fascinating characters that are worth following. And I think that's what Aftermath lacked. And I think it's going to get rectified in Aftermath to Life, Debt, and the rest, because Life, Debt, it looks like it's going to be a story about Han and Chewie, most likely, um, with those characters he introduced in, in the last book somehow playing into that. And, you know, I'm fine with that, because it gives me an opportunity, hopefully, to have a good story about characters I actually care about.
0: I, I just think the new characters in Zahn's books were more compelling. Yeah. And just, I do too. In a nutshell. That's it.
2: But I, I'm thanks for, I'm glad you shared your opinion, Bruce. And I don't, I don't knock it, you know, I mean, again, this is all opinion, you know, guys, we're not here to make you feel stupid for liking. What I feel really like, stupid um, now. no, um, you know, I'm if, sorry, yeah. Bruce.
0: I will share with you half a bucket of popcorn, <laughs> if ever we go to a movie theater together.
1: I will take you up on that for sure. And just again, I put these ahead of Aftermath. I'm just saying I don't think, I don't I don't see it being that far apart. I like the characters yeah, in and Aftermath. That's a, that's I did okay. like them.
0: Okay. Dr. Dre? Yeah, he's awesome.
1: I like Mr. Bones the best.
0: Mr. Okay. Bones was sweet. Nobody's going to pick Bones. up with the rap. Yeah. With, with Aftermath no. records. Come on. Nobody? Yeah, sorry. Nobody? I, I, Come
2: on. I don't know enough rap. Never mind. Go ahead, no, go, man. go ahead, right. rap. Ruby doesn't play enough rap on the, you know, the... <laughs> you know what? I will pull Two out that Miko
0: Minardo Ewok rap on you. Do not make me do it, young man. <laughs> Yum, no. Okay,
2: before we get there, I want to thank you guys for joining me on this. Um, You know, the next time that we talk, guys, can I don't know if you can believe it, but we're going to be talking about The Force Awakens, so I'm super excited about that. And if you're listening in the future... I apologize because you're tired of hearing about The Force Awakens because you've already seen it, but uh, we wouldn't be able to do this without our Patreons, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, both of these men associate producers through Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash Trek.fm and see what they saw. Uh, Trek.fm is a listener-supported network, and that means we use the support that we get from listeners just like you to be able to take that and create a network of podcasts, that you can love and listen to each and every day of the week. We're covering all of Star Trek and beyond, even the new film called Star Trek Beyond. And so go to patreon.com slash trekfm. We have some great perks for you. You can check out there. We have we have exclusive content, seats on the content development team, producer credits, and so much more. Again, that's at patreon.com slash trekfm. Now, guys, uh, of course, uh, before we go, each of you has things that you've got in the hopper, things that you're doing. And um, honestly, I really have to say thank you. Uh, doing these shows with you is is honestly the highlight of my week so many times. And um, I'm just honored to get to sit around the round table here in the 602 Club and, and talk the wars. I mean, it, what a great opportunity. Um, and these shows wouldn't be half as good if I didn't have people like you. So, Bruce, make sure you let everybody know where they can find you online. And then, of course, um, what you're doing podcast-wise, man.
1: I never would have imagined that I'd be talking Star Wars on Trek FM. That's just ironic to me. Uh, <laughs> but Isn't it ironic? do you think? I am on Cloud City Casino Podcast, where we talk about collecting, gaming, and just all-around fandom. We celebrate the fans and and what they do. And uh, that's part of StarWarsReport.com, which I also write for. And I'm on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex.
2: Now, John, uh, before I let you go, brother, uh, you've got a lot going on. Uh, you've got some podcasts. You've got some things you do on the network. You've got places online for people to follow you. So let everybody know where that is.
0: Well, uh, you can find me at the Bill Bilbringy Shipyards, uh, creating all sorts of havoc. Um, and my call sign is Kessel Junkie um, pretty much everywhere. But uh, you can find me scampering around. Kessel on-
2: Junkie reporting in.
0: Yeah, exactly, <laughs> Uh, and after uh, just two more seconds, after Force Awakens is released, I will be active on the social networks again. Hopefully, not having killed anybody in line for spoiling anything while I wait for the film. Otherwise, Do you mean
2: as that first wave comes out and they're like, Kylo Ren is dead.
0: I swear to God, if you even accidentally just spoiled something, your life is. I don't know extremely- anything. I don't know anything.
2: That was just a joke. No, I know. Just
0: a joke. (laughs) Now that (laughs) I stopped being a Star Wars fan for. (laughs) That is a bridge too far, sir. (laughs) Um,
2: They killed R2. (laughs) Uh,
0: Don't even joke about that. Don't even joke about that. Uh, But, yeah, you can also find me uh, actually here on the network, on Trek FM Network uh, with Mike Schindler uh, co-hosting Commentary Trek Stars where uh, we get into silly little discussions about uh, Star Trek creators, the non-Star Trek work that they've done. Right now we're focusing all on all of the creators that are going to be bringing us uh, Star Trek Beyond in 2016. Um, and uh, you can also find me on another podcast called Words with Nerds that I co-host with my buddy Craig, and we have a silly little time over there. You know what's awesome, guys? Ten years ago, I was,
1: I was looking at things thinking, you know, Enterprise just ended. Who knows what the future of Star Trek is? Revenge of the Sith ended. Who knew what the future of Star Wars, if there was going to be anything after that? And here we are, ten years later, and we've got a new Star Wars film, and we just saw a Star Trek trailer, and I am thrilled. And to be able to talk about this stuff with you guys is yeah. even better.
0: I agree. That is, you're you're absolutely right, here, Bruce. Here, this is, this is a new gold. Raise your name. glasses to Bruce. Here, here. here, here. <laughs>
2: Well, guys, uh, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can find me on Instagram at MRushing. Trek FM is there, so check us out. You can find me on The Orb with Christopher Jones talking about Deep Space Nine exclusively here on the network. You can find me with Dan talking about the books and the comics of Star Trek on literary tracks. And then I have my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and may the Force be with you always. I still have the action figures, the the Laura, uh, the Mara and Luke uh, action figure that comes with the comic. Mm. In the, it's on, on my wall. So I passed it today, and I was like, "Oh, I forgot I had this." This is awesome. Anyway, all right, let's start the show. Okay. Welcome everyone to another of literary treks. That's what I was waiting for. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Literary Wars.
0: I... Technically, <laughs> yes.